Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. This is a recording of one of our 2020 Elul study classes. My name is Alyssa Thomas Newborn. I am the Rebbenit at B'nai David Judea. It's an Orthodox shul, an Orthodox synagogue on Pico, and it's a it's modern Orthodox. The head rabbi is Rabbi Yosef Konevsky, who's just a phenomenal person. He's a phenomenal rav, uh, and I'm very grateful to work there and be a part of that team. So I I work as one of the clergy members there. Uh, I also am a graduate of Yeshiva Maharat, uh, which is where I have my smicha from, my ordination. And I'm a board-certified chaplain. I've worked in hospital settings uh, and have different specialties in palliative care, end-of-life care, as well as psychiatric care. Uh, and I'm just very grateful to be part of this conversation. Rabbi Tarlin. Hi, everybody. Um, I'm so happy to be here as well. And back in my hometown of Los Angeles, I haven't been here for about a decade. Um, so I'm really excited to be back home. Um, I uh, received my um, my smicha from the reform denomination of uh, Hebrew Union College. Um, but I grew up in a very traditional Persian household. And so I don't really consider myself reform. I sort of consider myself Jewish. Um, but, uh, I, um, the reform movement just, um, appealed to me in so many progressive ways that I sort of needed. And so that's sort of my, my journey to where I am today. So as, um, Rabbi Schatz mentioned, I, um, was working at the kitchen, um, a non-denominational synagogue in San Francisco up until about just a few weeks ago. And now that I'm back in Los Angeles, I'm going to be using my master's degree in education, which I haven't used in a long time and I miss it, um, and I'll be working at uh, Milken Community High School, um, my alma mater, where I attended um, high school as well, and as did Rebecca Schatz. Um, and so, so yeah, so I'm sort of coming in today from various perspectives of um, coming from a congregational world and now going into education as well and thinking a lot about what high holidays and what life is going to be like for all of us in, in a different way. Thank you. So I'm actually going to keep us on Rabbi Tarlin. I'm going to have you be the first person to, to answer this question. <laughs> no pressure. Um, so this year, I can spotlight myself if I ask the question so you can think. Um, this year, we all know the high holidays are going to be different. We're not going to be together in one sanctuary or on one campus. And I'm curious to know what the two of you will miss um, what you're excited to have the flexibility to change or to explore, and how you imagine these high holidays being both stretching yourself, but also allowing for yourself to feel comfortable in ways that you that you might not have in past high holiday experiences. And I'm going first with this one. Uh, yes. Yes. <laughs> um. So I think, I mean, obviously, I think for many of us, you know, rabbi or Jew in the pew, what's really difficult is not seeing everybody. I mean, that's really what's going to be really, I'm mourning it right now and thinking a lot about, you know, not being able to get dressed up and, and even just just smile when I see all the people that I haven't seen all year who only show up on the high holidays. And I get to just be like, where have you been all my life? <laughs> Um, and on top of that, of course, the singing and all of the beautiful things that happen when you come together as a, as a people. 
So that is definitely what I'm mourning. Um, what is exciting or what is really fascinating is really about how um, we've been able to adapt to change. I think, you know, um, one of my favorite, actually, now it's just coming to me, Rabbi David Wolfie taught me this, of um, the story of the Akedah with Isaac. But one of the most amazing things about the Isaac story is that um, no matter, even though he was sort of like given up as a sacrifice, he, it, it really, what really mattered wasn't, um, what really mattered is that he, he ended up living a really beautiful life after that moment. Can you all hear me? Yeah. Um, and so I think I'm going to stop video for one second, just so you can hear me. Um, so what was really beautiful about the Isaac story is that how he really adapted and responded to change when he went through such a difficult time in his life. And so I think what's been really beautiful. We lost her. She'll come back. Tarlin, Tarlin, though, I'm sure she doesn't. Oh, she's actually still here. Tarlin just moved. So Tarlin is um, actually hot spotting to be able to do this, which really is a true friend. Um, so if she's back, we can have her finish her Rabbi I'm Wolfie here. teaching. I'm okay, so great. Sorry. No, go All ahead. I was going to say about that quick Rabbi Wolfie teaching because I love him so much. But also because, um, anyways, the teaching is about how we always go through sacrifice. We go through really difficult times in our life. But what really matters is how we respond to it. And what was beautiful about Isaac is how he responded to a really near-death experience. And so as I wake up every day and I see what my colleagues are doing online and trying to meet the needs of the people, that's what's admirable. And that's what's really exciting. Now, again, on a personal view, I'm not going to be a rabbi this year in the same capacity that I am. And so I'm really excited about being a Jew in the pew and really looking from that perspective to see what is happening and how... Um, we're meeting the needs of each other as a community, as a member of this community. So that's what I'll say. And I'm so sorry about the, the glitch. No, no, no. Thank you for sharing. Rabanita Lissa. So I, I want to just appreciate that the question and the way that you're asking it, because asking both what we're missing is, you know, of course, being extremely real and raw and vulnerable. And I'm going to answer that in a, question, in a moment, um, but also framing it as like, what are we looking forward to, to explore, to change, I think also challenges us to approach it that way. Uh, and a lot of us, I think, are, are viewing this moment with a lot of anxiety and fear and sorrow, which is certainly real. Um, but I think the constructive question you're asking, I at least feel on a personal level, very grateful that you're framing it that way. Thank so um, I, I want to say for me, I, I love Shul. Um, I love the singing. I actually, you know, I've been in all these Chagim planning meetings recently for our Shul and you know, as we're talking about what the liturgy will look like and what the layout will look like um, and all of these other sort of talkless practical things, uh, you know, we all feel like, wait a second, I don't think I realized how much I needed to hear Unatanatokev that way, or I don't, I didn't realize how much I needed to sit next to that person. Cause you know, when you go to shul for years and years together, I mean, at least for us, a lot of us have our places we sit in, you know, we have the way that we function. I, I can even like hear the people who sit behind me and how they would sing and what that would look like and being able to turn in different directions. And, you know, in some way, I think it's something I can access in my own prayers, my own davening, whether it's now, you know, on a weekday on Shabbos, or if it's, uh, you know, on Rosh Hashanah itself. But those 
those small things uh, really frame and give us chizuk, give us strength for the entire year. Uh, so I'm definitely missing, like knowing in my heart that it's not going to be the same and missing that. But I want to I want to highlight one part of that morning, as as Rabbi Tarlin said, um, which is that. I, there's there's been several people in our community who have passed away in the last year who were, you know, those shulgoers who were always there, who showed up every week, who were there even for Sudash Lishid and Mincha and Shabbos, like they were there. And there's, when I think about them not being there, and two of them actually passed away during COVID, uh, not, not connected to COVID, but during COVID, um, and not having their voices as a part of it, uh, I just, I feel it so much in my kishkas. Like, I I miss them, and I miss our people, and I miss, I miss a lot of, I think, the connection and closure and life cycle process um, that has been very different during these times. So I appreciate you acknowledging the reality of that loss. Um, and I, I, I sort of want to make the commitment right now in my own heart and soul that as I daven in the Chagim, I want to hear all the voices of my community in my mind and also specifically of those two people. May their nishamot have aliyot, may their souls uh, go higher and higher up to God. Um, in terms of what I'm looking forward to, I think there's a little bittersweetness of that, looking forward to... Um, to exploring and creatively finding ways to connect. Um, I have a a daughter who is one year old. She's our first child. And this will be the first hog where I'm not, you know, on maternity leave and dealing with having, you know, a very fresh newborn because she was born right before the Chagim last year. And uh, I'm really, I'm excited to explore what my husband and I can do to make it feel, uh, really meaningful for her because her experience of Judaism for approximately half of her life has been very different than what it will be for (laughs) Bezrat Hashem, God willing, the rest of her life. Um, But I'm I'm excited to to step up to that challenge. Um, I'm excited, as Rabbi Tarlin mentioned as well, you know, we uh, what it looks like for clergy to function in our roles. Um, certainly my role in my family will be uh, a little bit different this year in terms of, you know, the, the time commitments and other things. Um, but the truth is that, that this year is taking a lot of creativity for any, any shul, any synagogue that's trying to figure out how to observe this moment in a way that's meaningful for our congregants and ourselves is taking so much creativity. It's taking tons of time um, that you might not expect. And I'm really excited to see what it is that we're able to accomplish together. Thank you both so much. I, it's so wonderful. And I, I know this, and this is why I brought this, um, panel together, but it's so wonderful when you can bring people from different backgrounds, different ways of practicing their Judaism. And High Holidays is a big one, right? Because Tarlin would have been teaching high school students, right? And then a Jew and the pew. And Ravanita Lissa would have been at B'nai David and I would have been at Temple Betham. And yet, we have so many similar responses to this question, um, yet the the practicality of how High Holidays would have been done or will be done this year are so different. Um, I The one thing that I'll add to the 
to the the morning uh, piece of the question is that I find that I have lost a lot of my own, not Rabbi Shots, but Rebecca Shots focus in davening. Um, and I worry about that for the high holidays. I worry that being behind, in our case, a screen um, is going to take something away from any of us, although I'm speaking just in an I statement about myself at the moment, but that that focus will somehow dissipate because those voices are not surrounding us, like Ravanita Lissa said, or the seat that we're used to being in is now a desk chair or, or whatever it is, the location has changed. And so many of us are are used to those, uh, to our makom kavua, right? Our, our established location that we see ourselves, whether it's every Shabbos or, or just on the high holidays, and that is going to be different. And I, I don't know that I'm mourning it yet. I guess I'm just concerned for it at this point. But the flip side of that is actually what I'm most excited about, which is I think that through that concern, we are thinking about ways in which we can make these high holidays attractive to each and every person, as opposed to we are doing the high holidays, but we can really figure out what it is that we want to get across and we want to produce and we want to experience for the people who would rather be meditating or the people who would rather just be singing every word than davening through it with Nusach or for the people who just want to study the Parsha, not hear the Torah reading, right? We, we have that ability this year to be more creative because the world is pushing us to be more creative. And so that's what I'm most excited about is being able to think about the the niche spiritual opportunities, which if I had my druthers, I would do that every year. But this year is really pushing us to do that in such a way that it makes that it makes our whole community feel like, oh, this service was created for me, Karen Cass. This service was created for me, Wanda Paris, right? That, that you feel like these these moments were created just for you. Do either of you have any any responses that you want to share on this topic before we get to our next question? Rabbi Charlin, Rabbi Talissa. Yeah, I, I, I just I just wanted to say I think that first of all you said everything that I've, I've been. It's, it's hard. It's hard to say that you know there's silver linings because there's a pandemic going on and it's affecting people in so many different ways. And there's moments of like deep sadness that I feel. So I can't walk around being like I'm so happy this is happening. But I am going to say that it really is pushing us to not only just be creative, but to think about what is the essence of Judaism or what is the essence of each of these things happening. Now, the first couple of weeks this happened, we did a bat mitzvah online. And one of the things that was, you know, the senior rabbi had a really hard time. She was like, this is the, we're not doing any more of these. We're just going to wait. We're just going to wait until, until they're 14, 15. I don't care. Like, we can't do this anymore. And for me, I had a completely different response because when that grandmother from Florida was giving that blessing to her granddaughter, I, she was looking at me and I, and I felt it in a way where I, I'm going to cry right now because you watch it when it's happening in the synagogue on the Bima, but when it's actually coming towards you, you, if you would just allow yourself to just, yes, mourn that we're not in real life, you get to actually see another part of beauty that you wouldn't have otherwise. So I think it's really difficult because our tradition really wants us to turn off technology, but if we could find a way to sort of embrace parts of it, 
um, I just think that there's a lot of beautiful things we would see in a way we never saw before. So that's such a beautiful way of thinking about it. Thank you. I, uh, I, I, I also think it's a, I love how you describe that. And I think that, you know, it's wonderful that we're from different denominations and coming from different places um, in this conversation because we bring the different perspectives. Uh, and one of the things, you know, I, I think, you know, we're not, we're not going to go into like all the details of what our different communities are doing, um, you know, but we're certainly using technology uh, during the week, but on Shabbat and on the Chagim, we won't be, uh, be, you know, because I'm from the Orthodox denomination. And, uh, you know, thinking, thinking about how we're each relating to the, the questions you're asking also, um, you know, it, it, it's, a, it's a challenge and it's an opportunity. Uh, and I, I just, you know, I'm, I'm really grateful to hear the different perspectives. Thank you. So we are going to T- take this idea of of spirituality and of really asking for things and stretching ourselves in ways that we that we might not in uh, in other types of situations and and speak through that to the story of Hannah, which we read on Rosh Hashanah as our Haftarah. Um, we we read this Haftarah kind of in conjunction with the story of. Abraham and Sarah, who are also hoping for a child. And as, um, as Tarlin alluded to, it then turns into the story of Hagar and Ishmael and Yitzchak and the Akedah, um, Isaac and the binding of Isaac. And this Haftarah is, is one that we read of Hannah requesting out loud and in a way that is really more of a pleading for a child. And it's a different kind of prayer than we experience through other characters um, in our Torah and in our canon. And so I wanted us, the three of us, and specifically um, in, in light of that which we are discussing in terms of the differences in our spirituality this high holidays, to talk a little bit about this Haftarah and what it how it relates to you, if it relates to you, how it's a story that you relate to, um, and how you read this as a narrative that is actually necessary for the high holidays. And that could be any year of the high holidays or specific to this year. Reverend Talisa, do you wanna do you wanna start? Sure. Um so for those who may have heard me teach before, um, one of my favorite texts is actually from the, the Gemara referencing uh, Hannah and her experience um, and how she becomes, you know, it's really an amazing thing that Hannah and her, her tefillah, the way in which she davens, the way in which she prays becomes uh, one, if not the primary model for how we pray today. So, um, you know, it, it, it's, it's very exciting to see that uh, in our text, to see uh, her story be uh, unpacked and explored in that way. Um, but one of the things that's always struck me that I found uh, very accessible and meaningful at this, at this especially during the Chagim, uh, is that Hannah is described by Chazal, by the rabbis, uh, as speaking to God uh, with some chutzpah, with this sort of like, I mean, the way in which she, uh, and I encourage you to, to learn the Gemara, I can uh, send the, the text, uh, 
send the link in the chat uh, afterwards. But um, she she speaks in a way where um, she she challenges God to engage with her uh, in her struggle. And in particular, uh, you know, she's yearning for a child and, you know, she says, God, you who have, you are the master, the creator of all these svaot, all of um, your Hashem svaot, you, you create uh, all of these legions upon legions of creatures and beings in this world. Like, can't you just give me one? And, you know, she really, she uses halacha as well to engage and, and, and fight for her cause and petition God. Uh, and she's also willing to be incredibly sacrificial with herself and say, you know, I, as much as I want this child, I'm also willing to have that child be devoted to serving you as well. Um, and, and I think just her, her model in our rabbinic tradition uh, of being someone who cries out genuinely about her struggle, who engages with God, both very personally, but also very vulnerably. She's, you know, she's willing to say like, I don't understand why this is happening. Please join me in this. Uh, I think it's, it's just such a relatable uh, entryway into what prayer can be. And especially at the Chagim, when we're standing before Hashem and we're thinking of ourselves as Benonim, as people, you know, we're not Sadiqim, we're not each the most righteous and we're also not Rashaim, we're not the, you know, the most w- wicked, Chas Shalom, God forbid. Um, but we are, we are in the middle and we're trying to find our place and we're turning to God, offering our case and our hearts and our souls. And I think this year in particular, uh, to be able to say to God, you know, all of this uncertainty has been really hard for me. How do I, how do I continue with this? Please join in, step in, help me. Um, you know, having that personal dialogue with Hashem has always been something I can relate to. Uh, it helps me immensely in my own prayer life. Uh, and I, I just feel this, uh, you know, since I was a child, I felt like my relationship with God has always been, um, you know, me wanting to, to sort of pour my heart out to God, share whatever's happening in my day. I know there are some who, you know, theologically don't feel that God's necessarily invested in every moment, um, but certainly in more of the Hasidic thinking uh, and different parts of our tradition, that's that's a vein of thought that God really is a part of every moment and everything that we do matters. Um, so I think that Hannah's story, uh, both within the text itself as well as the rabbinic interpretation of it, um, is is something that gives me access to um, having having a very real healing, raw entry into prayer with Hashem. Um, and I, I think it's also, uh, I hope this year, something that um, can be a, a point at which God looks at us for the coming year and, and gives us the bracha, the blessings of health and healing and answering our tefillot, answering our prayers in their fullness. Thank you. Rabbi Carlin. So the story of Hannah is definitely one of my favorite stories in general. Um, not only because, as um, Rabbi Nindalisa alluded to, I mean, it is, it is, it's the pillar of, I mean, if when we pray the Amidah, I mean, the rabbis all talk about how we take our notes and our steps from Hannah, you know, Hannah, Hannah the way she, she moves, the way she stands, the way she speaks to God and outpouring. And, and you know, like I said, I come from a very... Um, I come from a Persian background, so there's a little bit more of a, you know, for Yom Kippur, our, our rabbis always said, um, we're sort of, we make a deal with God a little bit. We're saying, 
it's not so much, even, you know, Rabbi Schatz and I were talking a little bit about Avinu Malkinu before, um, a couple of weeks ago, and we were thinking about putting this panel together. And I was thinking back to something, um, another rabbi said to me, so let me, let me just, I was trained in an Ashkenazi movement, um, because, um, in, in my background, the rabbis aren't really so uh, gung-ho on, on female rabbis. So I went through the reform movement, and I was really trained under the Ashkenazi movement. And so one of the things the rabbis always talked about as my professors were always that, you know, with Avinu Malkenu and the ways that we sing it, we're sort of pleading to God, asking for God to help us. And what I learned from my own rabbis is like, that's not really how the Mizrahi look at it. We look at it like, we're fasting today. So guess what, God? We just walked three steps forward. Now it's your turn. You walk three steps towards us. It's a deal. And so that is always something that I take away from the Hana story. She's not so much begging. It's, it's more of like, a, what else do you want from me? Give me the essence of what I need to be alive in this world, which is to have a child. And I mean, the reason I went into this business in the first place of rabbi world, <laughs> because I mean, it's funny, but it's just true. I mean, when I, even when I teach my, the students, it's, this is a book that was written before the internet. This was a book that was, that was given by God. Um, however you want to think about it. When people were living with just going to sleep with the stars and waking up with the sun. And so when we think about the essence of what's important, these are the things that the rabbis or our tradition believe are the essence of what's important. And the essence of what's important is being able to ask for things, being able to open your heart and ask for things and bringing human life into this world. One of the things that is the number one struggle I think women are still dealing with, people are still dealing with, children. And so we come together for Rosh Hashanah. We read the Haftarah with Hannah, but it's also with Sarah and Hagar, the story of not being able to have children. And so when I think about the high holidays and this story specifically, I think about what is the essence of what I need as a person in this world, as a woman, but also as a human, especially now with COVID and the pandemic, what is it that I really need? I really, 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 really need especially now that so many things that I thought I needed have been taken away from me. And so, so that's, so that's a little bit about what I think about when I think about the Hana story. It's such a beautiful story. And you're right, Ramanita Lissa, it's about chutzpah, but it's about chutzpah like, Hey God, you put me on this earth, you know? So what's the mission of my soul? Can you help me out over here? And, And I love that. I love that she could just talk like that. So that's, that's how I'm thinking about it this year. I love the different interpretations of this same text. And it's so interesting that when we decided as a panel to talk about Hana, we didn't necessarily say like, look at this verse or look at that verse. We just said the story of Hana. And I, I thought about the fact that her husband, Elkanah decides that she, that he's going to ask her, why do you need anything else? aren't aren't I enough aren't I as as much as many sons as you could possibly have aren't I more than you would ever need those children and the thing that I thought about in terms of that is so much about what we are what we are experiencing right now is solitude even if we're not actually alone needing to think about how we as one human individual are affecting other people 
right? That's why we wear masks because we don't, we don't know if we are going to contract something, but we want to make sure that we, our individual person, are not affecting someone else. And in reading that verse this year, I thought so much about how it doesn't necessarily matter whether or not she thinks that he is enough. It matters that she has another request. And it matters that there's something else, like you were just saying, Rabbi Tarlin, that 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 she feels like she hasn't yet been able to do. And so when we're thinking about how we can take care of everybody else, we also need to focus in on how we're taking care of ourselves. And I think that goes to my next question to the two of you, which is, I think that often prayer alone in a home, whether whether or not you are part of a community that is going to have anything online during the Chagim, I think prayer alone is awkward. And if you're not someone who regularly does it, and is also not something that people assume they know how to do, right? Which, which maybe that's true. Maybe there isn't, maybe there's an element of, I don't have a machzor, or I don't know which pages I'm supposed to actually turn to if I'm alone as opposed to a part of a minion. So I'm less concerned about us talking about that right now, though anybody who's interested in those elements of, of prayer, of davening, I'm happy to go into, um, at another time, but I wonder if the two of you have any insight into what our spirituality, what our asking for, what our diving into our own selves to figure out what it is that we need, what that looks like when you are in your home for high holidays and how you would suggest us, me, you going about doing these kinds of intense prayers and having these intense prayerful moments in our own in our own homes we're going to have minyanim that are both uh, outside in backyards following all of the guidelines and instructions from the cdc uh, as well as people's happening in their homes so you know where our approach as a shul is uh you know trying to make both of those experiences meaningful since we're going to have many people in each each situation um i when you ask the question i i had this this moment last night that i just want to share with you um and i i for me it felt like so significant i had like a taste of what what this this moment in time has been um and it was it was a small thing but i was like oh my gosh this never would have happened otherwise so let me tell you what happened um i was uh, we do Shachrim and Chamariv, uh, both it's uh, in a backyard minion as well as uh, available on Zoom during the weekday. So again, not not on Yom Tov, not on Shabbat, yeah. um, but during the weekday. And so last night, uh, I was at Min Chamariv on Zoom, and I had given a Devar Torah between Mincha and Mariv, uh, and then it was Mariv, so I was davening. Um, my daughter had, had gone to sleep. We had put her to sleep, but she woke up, and she was, like, having one of those moments where her tummy hurt, and she just needed to be held. Um, so I had my headphones in, and I was still davening Mariv, like, you know, a part of it where not, not the Amidah. It wasn't like I was walking during the Amidah, but I was uh, in a part of it where I could continue walk, uh, have the headphones in, in my davening. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm not leading davening. So I'm, I'm a participant 
And uh, I went and got her and I, you know, I held her and I was like rocking in the chair with her while hearing the davening and and participating. Um, And it was this moment where I was like, oh my gosh, like I'm really able to be there for her and hold her and comfort her in this moment at a bedtime situation. And I fulfilled like being, I, I gave the divertara, I was there. I, you know, I was able to daven and I was, I was actually davening like while holding her. Um, and something about the confluence of those pieces. I mean, they're again, like it's sort of just a, whatever it was like last night she was crying. I had to go in the bedroom during davening. <laughs> like <laughs> it could just be a whatever moment, but something about that hit me as like, you know, Moshe at the burning bush or something like, Oh my gosh, like this is holy. Mm-hmm. And you know, I, I could have walked past it or, you know, Yaakov, like th- th- I could have slept through it and not realized I was in a holy mm-hmm. place. Mm-hmm. And something about that, that intersection, uh, hit me. And I was like, I, I, could, I had like tears in my eyes. Um, and I, I guess when, when I think about what could make these moments spiritual, uh, whether you're in a community where technology is being used or we're uh, on our own in our homes, and it might be that we're at home in our homes with our families, or it might be that we are single and living alone at home um, or have a roommate. Uh, or if it's that we're going to an in-person backyard minion, but we're not able to schmooze and have kiddish, you know, whatever it is that that's a little bit different. Um, I think that it's an opportunity, like what Rabbi Tarlin said before, uh, for us to, to think about how we can find some Kedusha, how we can find some holiness uh, in places that maybe experiences we might've walked by or maybe even been upset with. Uh, where it felt like, you know, why do I have to deal with this right now? This isn't how I want this to be. This is, um, this is so unfair. Uh, but I think sometimes we're called, especially when we don't want to be called, like Hannah too, uh, to find a way to engage with holiness. Uh, mm-hmm. And there are some who see us on the steps praying and think that we're not. But yeah, as part of that story, um, but I guess maybe in my heart, I, I want to sort of open it up to be uh, to be able to receive moments of connection that I otherwise would have either looked past or maybe even been resentful of. I think it's such a beautiful story. And just to imagine you being able to dive in with your daughter in your hands, like there are so many drush out there that you could that you could give. Um but it also actually, it really does remind me of the Hannah story that there are elements of what she does, which is remove herself from a situation. Oh, thank you. <laughs> which is remove herself from a situation where she wouldn't be seen as praying, which is why they don't think that she is. And yet that is what's being, that's that's what making her feel like she's in that holy moment. Like you were saying, it's just she is bringing that holiness and that is how she is doing it. And now we pray because in the way that she does because of her, but yet she came up with that because that was what felt holy to her, not because someone had told her this is how we do it, which is such a powerful way of thinking about prayer and spiritual connection in any kind of setting, whether it's with a book and specific words or just any kind of, of chila, any kind of supplication moment that you are having. Rabbi Tarlin. Um, 
No, I, I, I totally, I, I'm totally hearing what everybody's saying in the sense that, you know, what I love what you, what you said before, Becca, was about um, how Elkanah said, you know, am I not enough for you? And so, and I think that in a way, he was, he sort of missed the point because Hannah was like, not, not basically no, but there's things that I also need that are, have nothing to do with my love for you. And I think that that is also part of the theme of this, which is that, and I'm going to repeat myself a little bit, but that's okay. Which is that um, if you are, if we're too upset about what's going on, we're not going to be able to find that holiness and we're not going to be able to find that. And I think that that's, it's really easier said than done because I struggle with it and I can only find holiness in moments, but you get to realize things about the circumstances and the holiness and the holidays mm-hmm. and see it in a way that you wouldn't otherwise. Mm-hmm. Now I am, um, if this was an, a normal year, you know, Persians and Iraqis and a lot of Mizrahi have a Rosh Hashanah Seder. And so what would be lovely is me being able to go to my grandparents' house and have all of my aunts and uncles there. And we have a ritual Seder for Rosh Hashanah and we would be together. Now, my mother's and my father's side, both are Orthodox. So there is no iPad uh, option. Um, and if I can push them to somehow, since we live in glorious California, have this outside and they would be comfortable with it. Great. Um, But if not, I'm going to be doing what I've been doing when I was in San Francisco, which is being by myself. And that's a huge struggle. And as you were originally asking the question, I was like, wow, this is so, we're so lucky. We're not living in a radio age because that would be really, really sad. I would be really, really sad if all I had to do was listen because I could just put in a tape at that point. I mean, it's nice to hear a rabbi talking to me through but it's different. You know, when I'm sitting here and I'm talking here, I, I'm looking at Wanda's face. I'm looking at Renee's beach background. I'm looking at everybody here. And it's giving me something when, when you smile back. It, it's not a small thing for me. If I was just talking to a green lens on my screen, it would be really, really sad. So there is something real that we give and get back. And we just have to rethink what that is. You know, I'm a rabbi, so I get sort of paid to think about these things every day, but I'm also human. And so we're all realizing things that we don't know we needed before. So the more we talk about it and the more we share it, um, the more we can rethink about what's, you know, what to receive and what to give back this year. And hopefully next year in Jerusalem, it'll be much different. than. (laughs) So, in a moment, we're going to open it up to some questions. I see that there are already a few here. And Wanda just said that she had forgotten about the Rosh Hashanah Seder, and it gets her thinking. And it that that's a great segue into how I was going to kind of close this up and now open it up to you to be able to ask our panel some questions. You know, we have a Sidur, and we have choreography, and we have spiritual moments that we expect when you just even say the name High Holidays, right? We, when you say Rosh Hashanah, there are certain things that you think of, certain tunes, certain maybe honors that you've had, like an Aliyah or opening of the Ark or something like that. Or Yom Kippur, maybe you have a certain kind of breakfast at someone's home that you're not going to be having this year or the three Torahs that are typically taken out on Kol Nidre. There's touchstones. There are, there are moments that we are going to not have in the same kind of way this year. And so my challenge, my, my charge really for all of us 
is to like Hannah did for the first time, which again, it is powerful to think about how Hannah praying now created for us a situation of a, a formula for how we pray. And yet she was doing something spontaneous and holy for her. But we have some fear or awkwardness around how to create that for ourselves these days because we have a sidur and we have choreography and we have what's called a matbeya, kind of a, an outline for what comes first and what comes second and how you're supposed to sing it. And so what I would, what I would charge us all with and challenge us all to do is think about what is it that brings you holiness? Right? Is it saying the prayers while holding your daughter? Is it being able to listen to your favorite rabbi at their service? Is it having some kind of pictures of your family around you if you're not going to be with them? Whatever it is, think about how the spirituality for you this year is going to be holy in a way that is best for you. Because ultimately, what we are all trying to do in any denomination is still make sure that the Yamim Noraim, the high holidays, are still powerful and meaningful. And so if you can bring a little bit of that to yourself and figure out what that is, maybe it's a certain book or a certain reading that you that you didn't do when you were in shul, but now you know would bring you that comfort and that holiness, I encourage you to do it. And I encourage you to make this year a year that's really about you and your spiritual experience and that which makes you feel most connected. So I am going to ask these questions and then let Rabbi Carlin and <laughs> and Ravanita Alyssa answer them. So Rabbi Susan Lemley asks, um, for davening at home via streaming or Zoom, number one, I am finding it moving and helpful to be face-to-face with the shaliach tzibor as opposed to the leader, as opposed to the traditional way in which she or he faces the ark. Great. Uh, And number two, I feel very open and vulnerable and real to be praying aloud in this setting, sometimes with my husband there and often alone except for my iPad. Overall, I am finding this a spiritually opening up and expansive experience. Thank you for sharing, Rabbi Lemley. Do either of you have responses to that? It's okay. If you don't, um, I can. No, I just say thank you for sharing that. I, I join you. <laughs> yeah. Renee. Oh, Renee. Renee's comment is that she's Ashkenazi, but they also do a Rosh Hashanah Seder, um, which they'll not be able to do this year. So there's a certain loss associated with the Chagim this year. Jennifer Lowe says, any suggest asks any suggestions for enhancing our air Rosh Hashanah dinner. We're going to include lots of family and friends coast to coast by Zoom. Okay. Okay. Robin. That's great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know that. That's awesome. Um, I, uh, I guess I would just say, you know, especially because, um, you know, Zoom is certainly people, and I know you said Arab Rosh Hashanah. So, you know, if it's, if you're using Zoom, that's one thing. If you're not able to use Zoom, um, I think that there's been, uh, there are a lot of people have put out a lot of rabbis across denominations have put out really great ideas of having, uh, you know, printing out certain resources to have, uh, one of the things I think it came, um, from Rabbanit Dasi Fruchter, who went to the seminary I did in Kishivat Maharat, uh, and, and also, um, uh, Rabbanit Bracha Jaffe as well, uh, put out some resources about, 
engaging with people that who, who can't be at your table. And that was the case with the Seder. I think it could be the same thing for Rosh Hashanah, meaning, mm-hmm. you know, writing a letter beforehand that could be read uh, when you're sitting at the table. Uh, if there's a bracha, the blessing that you normally would give uh, in that context to, to do something similar where maybe um, it's given beforehand uh, or also written to be experienced in that moment. Uh, technology isn't the only way to connect. Um, and, you know, having certain songs, I know some people, sorry, I have a dog. Um, I'm not sorry. I love her, but <laughs> sorry, she barked. Uh, but I know a lot of people have, um, felt that especially at Pesach time, uh, cooking together before Chag, uh, mm-hmm. could be really nice, uh, doing, you know, some, some family singing beforehand can be really nice. Uh, you know, I, I, I think that having maybe even like, I know some people do special honey each year. So maybe, yeah. you know, families picking out if they're not going to be able to be together, uh, picking out different honeys they're going to try and then mm-hmm. touching base after. Um, but, you know, creative ways. So it feels like we're doing something together. And especially mm-hmm. if you're in a situation where you're not using technology uh, to be able to have a structure in which you can check in. It's kind of nice this year because the first day of Rosh Hashanah is on Shabbat as well. Um, so, you know, we're, we're, uh, we're not, it's not the same experience uh, that we had at Pesach too, uh, where there was an extra day. So I, I think that this is, uh, um, it, it could, it could be done in a really fun and meaningful way if, if families and individuals are open to the creativity. Great. Um, Wanda wrote, for me, it's always about transforming spaces. I would like to offer the idea to setting up a room in our home as unofficial high holiday prayer space. Now, what, Wanda is an incredible artist who will also be teaching a class on Sunday in this series, if you would like to come to that. Um, but yeah, that's a beautiful idea, Wanda. And I think one that, that does allow people to feel like they are at least transformed out of their bedroom or out of their office or whatever into a new spiritual space. Um, a lot of people at the beginning of this pandemic were talking about a mikdash me'at, a a space in their home that they could really create like the mikdash that was there only for a certain amount of time, but that could be take, put up and taken down as, as, the, um, as the season needed. Miriam wrote, I consider myself a traditionalist reformed Jew coming from a conservative upbringing. Wow, you've really, you've, you've gotten it all. <laughs> I've always observed Yom Kippur that included no technology, turning on lights, walking to shul, etc. This won't be possible this year, so I'm struggling with coming to terms with how I will keep it holy. Being home alone just isn't an option I appreciate. Can I share a memory I have? Yeah, of course. So, like I said, um, I, you know, we don't have really denominations in Persian Jewry, but if I could peg my my dad's parents, they would for sure be Orthodox. And so when, um, when I was growing up, we were very traditional. Um, and, uh, I mean, traditional, like Mahmer, like very, very traditional. And, and eventually something happened. I don't know. My parents sort of deviated from that and became a little bit more relaxed. But I remember um, the, it was like maybe the first few years where we stopped walking to, to temple um, for Yom Kippur because we really lived far away and we wanted to join our, my grandparents for Yom Kippur. Um, we got into the car and my dad, I remember, turned off 
the radio. And my little sister was like, dad, we're in the car already. Just turn on the radio. We're going to the, we're going to shul. You're already using the electricity. Let's, that's enough. And my dad's like, no, we're going to Yom Kippur to be with your grandparents. It's far away. So we have to use the car, but we don't have to use the radio. And so the point of this is to keep the essence of the holiday alive. And so again, we're, we're facing a time where we're, we're, we have to rethink how we're doing things. And so what is it for you in your conservadots reform uh, uh, upbringing, but really somebody who's thought about things from different perspectives, again, going back to holiness, like what is it that makes this meaningful for you um, in a way where you don't feel that you're, you're transgressing, um, you know, you're limited so is it better to sit in darkness or is it better to, to find a way to, to let a little bit of air in so you can actually celebrate the essence of, of, of the holiday? Do you, want to, do you want to share anything on that? Um, I guess I would just add, I mean, if I don't know if it's an option for you, but I know that um, if, if, it, if going to davening is possible, um, I know that a lot of shows are doing backyard minyanim. Uh, so I'm not sure if that's something that would work for you, um, but it is something that is happening in our community. Um, so it, it just sort of depends on, on where you are and how far you live. But if that's a, a really important value to you, um, in addition to Rabbi Terlin saying to think creatively, um, that might be something worth exploring. Um, but I think also, you know, even separate from trying to sort of like solve the issue, um, maybe even taking some time to look at the liturgy beforehand, um, and pick out parts, structure your day as to what you would want it to look like. Maybe, you know, making sure that you have certain things to read and access, um, you know, going on a walk at a certain point. Um, but it might be with, with many things in our lives when we dread them, and we're scared about what's coming up, sometimes uh, planning and having, you know, creating control over what we actually can control can take away a little bit of the dread, uh, maybe even build in things that you actually look forward to. So I, I guess um, what I would offer is, you know, sometimes things can just, we, we can be afraid and it can, it can just happen to us, but how can we each look at some of these moments we're not looking forward to and make them moments that, you know, God willing, we look forward to, but at the very least, um, we know we can get through in a meaningful way. So I just want to give you chizuk, give you strength Sorry. in that. <laughs> Sorry, um, I did not mean to change to my face to cut you off. I, I just want to add one quick thing. Um, I agree with both of my colleagues and friends on this answer. I, I will just say, and many of you have heard me say this, that I have struggled and continue to struggle with the fact that the way that I am in community and doing davening specifically on Shabbat is through a computer. It's very, very hard for me. It's not something that um, I've ever done, um, as I'm sure is the case with many people, if not everybody. And one of the things that I do, and I offer this to you um, coming from a similar place of not feeling like this is a, that that is a way that I am going to be able to connect and yet knowing that it might be my only option is do something else around either your home or your space or even what you wear that will change change the experience for you. If it is a given that you're going to need to use 
a computer, figure out, and I'm happy to share this with you, figure out how that computer can be on before the hog begins and turn itself off, right? Or figure out for yourself where it can be in your home such that you just walk into the space, right? And for some people that also won't be comfortable, but maybe that's one step closer to the comfort. And I know that that for myself, Fridays used to be a crazy time of just trying to get every email written and everything done so that when I entered Shabbat, work was done. And now I really try to take Friday afternoons, and I'm offering this as a something you can also do for the for the high holidays, as a time when I'm really starting to enter into Shabbat. So if that is listening to music that particularly brings me to that space, or cooking a Shabbat dinner that I usually don't have time to, but I can now because I'm at home all the time, right? Whatever it is, bringing yourself into those spaces that that bring that that comfort and that excitement so that as Ravani Delissa just said, the moments that are scary or challenging or less attractive to be part of have surrounding it the things that you did look forward to and that brought you into a into a holy space. Um what? Okay, I'm still on a call. Okay. Um, um, so what, that was my father, ladies and gentlemen. Um, Barry Rosenblatt had his hand raised a long time ago, and I want to see if he has a final question for us before we close. Do you have a question, Barry? Well, uh, it wasn't so much a question. It was a comment oh, uh, long, long ago. I can recall uh, we were talking about uh, without the, uh, the, the temple and uh, being in our private spaces, and I'm – Kind of reminded that um, uh, initially um, we were alone people before we were a kahal. Uh, Abraham, Yaakov, Yitzhak all had private moments, and eventually over time we evolved into a um, a, a tribal pattern of prayer. Um, uh, so we're, we're back into that mode, yet we have a technology to keep us connected, yet at the same time uh, uh, private. And uh, further, uh, we're at that kind of moment uh, where the physical facility of a temple is not ours to enjoy. And we've had times like that in our history, um, uh, often uh, terrible times. Um, uh, and, and yet kept alive our sense of being together as a, uh, a, a tribe and a family. Mm-hmm. So uh, all of this is conflated into this current experience where we do have this technology. And, and so it's, it's, it's both a, a pain, a cry, a hurt, and an opportunity. And so how we do this is um, hopefully remarkable and a, uh, an experience that um, – will um, uh, develop us further uh, to where we don't even envision yet where we will be as a result. That was beautiful. Thank you, Barry. Amen. So I want to just share an immense amount of gratitude for Rabbanit Alyssa and for Rabbi Tarlin for doing this. Um, They are both people who I love learning from and love chatting with and this was just such a beautiful way to be able to share some of the the moments that I find light in both of them and in their Torah with all of you and I want to just give them the last word so I'm going to turn it over and 
You can close out any way you wish. But again, thank you so much for being here. And uh, thank you all for being part of this really wonderful learning with two incredible, incredible leaders. Rabbi Tarlin, I'm going to, oh, Rabbi, Rabbi need to live. Oh. <laughs> Okay, um, I, I just, I want to thank you as well. Um, I think, you know, someone in the chat said uh, that, you know, it was just sort of a private conversation and I hope that we can continue these, both those who uh, didn't speak as much because we were muted, um, but also, uh, you know, the three of us too. I think that we want to be resources for those kinds of conversations and this is an ongoing uh, exploration. So uh, really thank you so much, Rabbi Shatz, for making that possible. And I pray that each of us can have the chutzpah of Hana, the, uh, the spiritual experience of uh, being people who can can call out to God, who can access our liturgy and our tradition in a meaningful way this year and do it in a way that's authentic to us, where we come out of it feeling, you know, Shana Tova Umetuka, that it's a, a good and sweet year ahead. So may we each know that, that blessing and may we feel more and more connected to each other each day. Amen. Thank you so much. And amen. Um, I'd like to also thank you all for, for inviting me. I mean, this was really wonderful. And um, I will say that the last words that I can sort of leave you all with is that um, this isn't the first time sort of something like this has happened in our history. And I think that um, really what's, what's admirable and what's giving you strength is trying to do things um, creatively or differently and maybe doing something that you wouldn't otherwise have had an opportunity to do. Whether that is like I've gotten some private messages about how to do a Rosh Hashanah Seder. I mean, that would be a great way to do something too that's different. Maybe if you haven't tried um, and find a way to um, and to do that, you know, whether with with people in your small pod and your world or via Zoom. Um, and um, yeah, I mean, nothing really else to say except Shana Tova. May you all have a beautiful and sweet New Year, and may may you learn um, real things from from this experience and um, beyond that will give you strength and uplift you um, and not keep you down. So that's my blessing to all of you. Uh, Amen. Amen. You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple Podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Temple Beth Am Los Angeles, go to tbala.org.